0: Good morning, everyone. So good to see you all. What a glorious morning. My name is Eric Tanis. If you're a visitor, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and I, along with the rest of our church family, would love to warmly welcome you here and hope that you have already experienced what we're all about here at Grace, which is exalting Jesus, because we believe he's the only one through whom we're able to have a relationship with God and have forgiveness of sins and find eternal life in Him. And we, along with billions of followers of Jesus this morning, remember the glorious resurrection of Christ that has indeed changed everything, as Randy said. We're so grateful you're here, and we're grateful you're here for whatever reason you've come. Maybe your family that you're visiting that you're out of town, dragged you here this morning in spite of the fact that you would have far preferred to stay in bed. Well, I don't think it's a coincidence that you were able to at least respect your family and be here. I love the way God brings us to himself through so many varied means. Well, I love Easter. I actually love Easter a little more than Christmas, believe it or not. And I remember coming across this a few years ago, Steve Brown, a preacher down in Florida, wrote this a while ago. He said, it's Easter and I like Easter for a number of reasons that aren't necessarily religious. For instance, the Easter sermon doesn't last six months and there aren't any Easter carols for the malls to play as I fight the crowds buying Easter presents while wondering who I've forgotten. I'm quite happy that at least so far the Easter Bunny, unlike Santa, isn't bigger than Jesus, and the Easter tree hasn't caught on. Not only that, I haven't seen a figurine with the Easter Bunny kneeling before the empty tomb, <laughs> and no church that I know of has a performance of the singing Easter egg. Ever wonder why the world has trouble co opting Easter? When you think about it, it's natural. Of course, there isn't a baby, and that's a negative, but there is spring and all that goes with it, and everybody loves bunnies. But for the most part, with a nod from the florists and the clothiers, unbelievers have shied away from Easter and left it to us, Christians. Do you know why? Because it's too much to handle. That's why. Take for instance the connection between the resurrection and the crucifixion. Paul wrote we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The power part is cool but the stuff about the crucifixion that's a turnoff for the con artist. The sellers and the sellers of trinkets, and the actors with their false faces. One is bad news, the other good. You can't have one without the other. Easter is always preceded by Good Friday. You can't rejoice that Sunday's coming unless you've been to Calvary first. The Apostles' Creed is cool when it affirms Christ's resurrection, but that affirmation must necessarily be preceded with he was crucified dead and buried. Resurrection can't be removed from crucifixion. Eternal life has all kinds of connections to sin and death. Most unbelievers don't want to go there, so they just leave it alone. Well, I love that Easter has not been so co-opted by our culture that it still has a distinctive hue something that we recognize as the result of a tragedy. It's an awesome victory, the most awesome victory that's ever occurred, but it's the result of a tragedy, and that tragedy is called human rebellion against God, what the Bible calls sin, and the result of that is living in a cursed world and having to face death because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And death is a tragedy, but it's a gift from God. The cursed world we live in brings untold anguish, but it is a gift from God to wake us up from our lethargy that would have otherwise left us asleep rather than awake to the realities of this life. One writer has said, in the last analysis, it is our conception of death which decides our answers to all the questions that life puts our way. So I want to ask you this morning, what's your answer to death? you have one is death something you like to act as if it weren't coming what is your answer to death the Bible puts it this way death is the destiny of everyone the living should take this to heart so do you take death to heart Easter resurrection Sunday morning is God's answer to death And until you have God's answer to death, you don't have an answer to death. Have you ever seen uh, paintings from the Middle Ages and before? They lack perspective. Laura Rosencrantz could tell you a lot more about this than I could, but but they lack perspective. And, And even though they lack perspective, in the Middle Ages, paintings started to want to remind people about death. You see, in the 1300s, massive amounts of people died from the plague. And so even artists, especially artists maybe, wanted to remind people of their impending death. So they would paint a beautiful painting, but somewhere in the painting they would put something to remind you of your own mortality. Maybe it'd be an hourglass. Maybe it'd be a wilting flower over in the corner. Maybe it would be, a, a bird of prey swooping down. Maybe it would be a, a, a waning moon or a setting sun. But there were reminders that we're all going to die. And maybe that's not why you came to church this morning, but you can't understand the resurrection if you don't understand the need for the resurrection. And that's the tragedy of death. Death defeats our sin. And death defeats death. That's the message we're going to hear this morning. If you have your Bibles, please open to Hebrews chapter 2. We have this awesome, concise passage. Indeed, this sermon will not last six days, as some, some may be concerned about. But Hebrews chapter 2 has a beautiful and powerful picture of what it means to have the answer to death. And as God frequently does to us, he turns our conception upside down of what things must be like and should be like. And here it is in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Help us, Lord, as we go to your word now. We pray in Jesus name. Hebrews chapter 14 uh, chapter 2 verse 14. Since therefore the children but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That means to satisfy God's righteous justice and anger towards sin. He satisfies it with his death in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted the message this morning is that God's answer to death is through death and it has to be because the wages of sin is death and the penalty for sin death cannot be paid for unless there's death And that death is something we need to pay. That's why death exists in this world. We can't whistle in the dark as if it's not our greatest problem in this life. Oh, we may have all kinds of problems, but the Bible tells us that there is death awaiting all of us, and deep down, as much as we may want to avoid that unavoidable truth, it's true. And we need an answer to it. I desperately want an answer to the ultimate final enemy, don't you? And the realities of suffering in this present day that we're in right now and every day of our lives is pointing to the ultimate suffering that comes with death and the penalty of God's judgment that it includes the wages of sin is death, And this passage tells us that God enters into human history. He doesn't save us from a distance, but he moves into the creation itself and takes on a human nature, including a human body. And if he hadn't done that, he couldn't die. The eternal son of God couldn't die unless he took on a human nature and a human body and all the frailties that come with that. And he experienced the full extent of human frailties. Hunger and thirst and suffering, being rejected by his friends, his own people rejected him. He understood what it meant to walk our streets in the dailiness of life and experience the pain of life in a fallen world. His suffering wasn't just on the cross, it was every day of his life because he was rich and he became poor so that in him we might become rich. He's the one who's the suffering servant. Every day of his life. And we needed him to be. So our passage is telling us that we're human. We're flesh and blood. We're frail. We're limited. We're strugglers in this journey of life. And because God knows that about us. And knows we need someone to represent us in our struggle. He sends his son. Because he loves us. And wants to offer a solution to our sin. And he's offering that to you today. He loves us and so he sends his son and the son loves us so he joyfully submits to the will of of the father and is joyfully sent and the spirit of God makes this all possible. So father, son, and spirit are offering a solution to the ultimate enemy of death. And the question this morning is have you received that solution that God provides? Because we need for him to provide the solution. Jesus came As one of us so he could die in our place and so he could destroy as it says the works of the devil which are this reality of our guilt that he holds over us what the devil's called is the accuser of the brethren that's what he loves to do he used to he loves to accuse us moment by moment of our sin Some of the things he accuses us of is actually what we're guilty of. Some things he accuses us of is what we're not guilty of. But either way, he accuses us every single day. And he would love it if you carried your guilt around the rest of your life and on into eternity. But God has provided a solution to our guilt. He's destroyed the works of the devil, and the devil's works are many. The Bible tells us he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he'll destroy. He's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and God comes to give us back life and all that Satan takes away from us. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. That's our ultimate battle, and we have a victor, and we need a victor, don't we? We need a champion. We need someone to represent us in this battle we can't win alone. And that's who Jesus is. Have you ever wondered why all the great stories of human history have a battle raging? That we can't win and until the champion shows up, until the victor, the conqueror shows up. And whether it's it's a, a cheesy cowboy story or if it's Lord of the Rings where Gandalf comes riding over the mountain on a white horse bringing the power and the victory we all desperately need and can't provide for ourselves it's woven into the human heart so the greatest stories of human history involve this reality of wanting to overcome the great conqueror with an even greater conqueror and there's a reason for that because that's the story of human history We understand deep down that we all are in a situation that we can't bring the victory to, but God can and God has in Jesus. He's freed us from the slavery of the fear to death. And even if you are a master of self-deception, the Bible tells us that deep down you know. And deep down you fear your impending death. And deep down, you desperately want a solution to this. And this morning, the good news is Jesus has provided that solution. How has he done that? Would you just flip over just a few pages to the left, to Colossians? And look what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 2, beginning at verse 12. at this amazing picture of what it is Jesus does how does he free us from fear how does he take all the power away from the devil and return it to us his children listen to Colossians 2 verse 12 having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. What's that talking about? That's talking about the gospel. It's talking about the good news that we remember every time we baptize someone back here when we remember what Jesus did for them and that by faith in him, by turning from sin and saving faith in Jesus, everything has changed. And they have now died with Christ to their sin and to their selves and they've been raised to walk with him in newness of life. That's what we have by faith, the victory God provides. The powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were raised from the dead, were raised with him. And you who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision, and the incompletion of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. So do you get what's going on here? By faith and union with Jesus, when we trust him, we're able to be completely identified with his sacrificial death, and our sins are paid for, and then we're not only dying with him, we're raised with him to walk in newness of life. And that means the same power that raised Jesus from the dead raises you from your spiritually dead condition. And you get to walk now every day in newness of life. We need a champion, and Jesus is that champion. And how does he take the power away from the devil that he holds over us as the accuser of the brethren, verse 14? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. How did he do that? He set this aside by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's the victory. He's the champion we need. He's the victor we desperately need. And he does it amazingly through his death. I love the title of John Owen's book, The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. It's it's just astounding that the death was paid for by Jesus. God offers the solution. He does that for us. And the Old Testament told us this was going to happen. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 42, 13. Yahweh advances as a champion. As a man accustomed to battle, he will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the cry of battle and will triumph over his enemies. God is a warrior who goes before his people into battle and wins the victory for us. Listen to Isaiah 49, puts it. Can plunder be taken from a champion or captives rescued from a tyrant? This is what the Lord says. Yes, captives will be taken from the champion and plunder a tree from the tyrants. I will contend with those who contend with you and your children I will rescue. Then all humankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the champion of Jacob. Do you realize how desperately you need a victor to go before you? Oh, maybe your pride is fighting against this. Maybe you hear this and you say, no, I got it. I got this. I've been really competent in my life. Let me show you all the things I've done. Let me tell you all the things I've accomplished. I'm a really strong person. I'm a really accomplished person. I'm a really competent person. Just look at all that I've done. I pray that God will go after that pride that would keep you from your realization that you can't solve your sin problem. You can't solve the fear of death that comes with it. You can't solve the problem that Satan holds guilt and accusation over you until Jesus is your champion frees you from that. Jesus is the only one who can. Maybe you're here this morning and you're so discouraged with your weakness. Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum and you're so discouraged by your own sin, by the fear and anxiety that racks you every day. You don't need to be told this morning that life is hard and death is coming. You just can't avoid that because of the circumstances in your life. Well, I've got good news for you. There's freedom from fear. There's freedom from discouragement and despair, and defeat, and it comes through Jesus. We all need the same champion, the same Savior. Listen to what Jesus says. We'll get to this in just a few weeks in our series we're going through on Luke here at Grace. Listen to what Jesus says about himself. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his spoils. Jesus is the warrior who goes before us. He's the one, the strong man who overcomes the armed guards of the powers of darkness and frees us from the grip of this darkness that our sin plummeted us into. Through his death, he crushes the antagonist who had the power of death, and he brings deliverance to his captives. Listen to this beautiful line from one of the poems in The Valley of Vision. What more could be done than thou hast done? Thy death is my life, thy resurrection my peace, thy ascension my hope, thy prayers my comfort. One scholar puts it this way, death is the ultimate weapon of the tyrant. Resurrection does not make a covenant with death, it overthrows it. And that's the victory we have. Not partial victory, not a treaty with all kinds of concessions, but Jesus moves in and he takes back the captives that had given themselves into sin and slavery to sin and fear of death, and he wins us back. Just as he said he would. And that he predicted many times as he told us he would rise on the third day. And then there was an empty tomb and no body to show for the empty tomb. Another historical validation of the resurrection. There were hundreds of witnesses, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, to the resurrected Christ. And then, of course, there's the transformed lives of the apostles who changed the world because they were convinced Jesus had risen from the dead. You may not believe it's even possible this morning, for a miracle like resurrection to happen. But please realize there's no good historical reason to denounce that uh, to doubt that. The only reason is if you come to a miracle like the resurrection with a prearranged set of ideas that makes that impossible at the onset. And I want to encourage you to consider the possibility of this historical reality. And therefore, encourage you to challenge your basic idea that God doesn't love us enough to intervene in this world miraculously to save us out of this dark situation we've gotten ourselves into. He meets our deepest needs over sin and death. He brings the victory. The resurrection is God's stamp of approval on all that Jesus said and did. It vindicated who he is. And showed that his sacrifice was accepted by God. And a full satisfying atonement was made for the sins of his people. And now we are able to be freed from guilt. And the power of sin. Once and for all. Death is an enemy. And we were made to live. Don't you long for that and believe that deep down. That you were made to live. Not to die. Death is this great enemy that Jesus overcame. And we need to realize we can't save ourselves. No scientist is able to save you from death. No Instagram star is able to save you from death. That's why the resurrection of Jesus is so precious. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans 8. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. Also through the spirit which dwells in you. Because Jesus has overcome death. We are able to overcome death by faith in him. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And he says, whoever believes in me and lives in me shall never die. Jesus is risen. It's more than a saying Christians have said through centuries on Easter morning. He's a king and he's a risen savior. And he rules over everything now. So now what do we do? What do we do? It couldn't be more simple in some ways. We trust him and not ourselves. We trust him and not all the solutions that are thrown at us every day to overcome our greatest enemies. We trust Jesus. And we worship him as the true Lord. And we obey him with our lives, clinging to his feet the way his disciples did after they saw him risen from the dead. And obeying him and following him every day. And living lives of hope and confidence. To overcome everything. It's not just eternal life we have, but daily abundant life now. Victorious daily life over my temper and critical spirit and our lustful temptations. And we're able to hang in there in tough relationships and so called unavoidable conflict that we're able to get through and see our way through because of God's freeing power. We can have patience. We can get through hard times of life in this sinful world. We have power over all these things. Listen to Romans 8. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, and who indeed is, present tense, is interceding for us. We serve a risen Savior, and Jesus said, it's finished. And he meant it. He meant it. It's finished. It's done. And so if you are someone this morning who's trusted Jesus, if you are a new creature in Christ, this message is for you too. This message isn't just for those who've never seen the truth of the power of the resurrection, but those of us who have need to hear this today and take courage and, and be, be emboldened to walk into each day, no matter what each day is bringing our way. The difficult part of this is if you are a Christian this morning, everything I'm saying can sound so hollow. And feel so hollow because life is hard. And if Jesus has brought the victory to me, why doesn't it feel like it more often? Why do we still get the diagnosis from the doctor that brings a dark cloud over our life then? Why do we still struggle with sin like we do? Why do we still fight this battle every day that sometimes feel like we're not going to win? Well, it's because we live in between the resurrection and the glorious second coming of Jesus when he'll make all things new and the victory we have now will be unavoidably and powerfully present for all to see. That day's coming. And so we have the resurrection power in our lives now. And so we're able to say to the devil when he wants to heap scorn and guilt and shame on us for the sin we battle, that we're not surprised that we have sin in our lives. And this is how Spurgeon put it. I know what the devil will say to you. He will tell you you're a sinner. Tell him you know you are. He will tell you of all your backslidings, in your mishaps, in your sin, and your shameful activity. Tell him you know all that. And tell him of the greatness of Christ's righteousness. He will tell you of all your wanderings and offenses and backslidings. Tell him you know all that, but that Christ Jesus came to save sinners, and although your sin is great, he is quite able to put it all away. Jesus is your champion. Jesus is your victor, but we have a realistic view of life in this world. We recognize that we're still in a battle, and I've become quite aware that half the battle for me, and maybe for you, is knowing it's a battle. Knowing just because Jesus has won the victory, that there's still a battle we're engaged in. Oh, the the outcome is sure, but along the way, there are plenty of battles to be fought, and plenty of wounds to be uh, experienced, and plenty of challenges along the way, as we follow our conquering leader into the battle. So we are able to walk daily in newness of life. We have hope for today. But we live in between the the declarative victory in the resurrection and the final victory in his second coming. I've read this before here at Grace, but I find it so powerful and helpful to read for those of us who are struggling so much even though we have experienced resurrection power. Greg Sitters, a pastor, wrote this. Friday is when your dreams died. Sunday is when God will do more than you had ever dreamed. Saturday is the seeming eternity between. between. On Friday, you miscarried. On Sunday, the child who meets you at the gate will call you mom. On Saturday, you're selling the crib. On Friday, the test came back positive. On Sunday, cancer will be extinct. But on Saturday, clumps of hair still clog the, the shower drain. On Friday, you were served divorce papers. On Sunday, you'll be the bride at the wedding feast. But on Saturday, you sleep alone in an empty house after he takes the kids for the weekend. On Friday, you went out of business. On Sunday, your shop will be full of those who treasure your hand, what your hands have made. On Saturday, you're punching a time clock to climb out of debt. On Friday, your child was arrested. On Sunday, he'll be what you've always known he had the potential to be. On Saturday, you look through the glass at vacant eyes, press your hand against the barrier, and whisper into the phone, I love you. On Friday, you lost your home. On Sunday, you'll be handed the keys to a mansion. But on Saturday, You're concealing your grief as you try to make an apartment feel like home for your kids. On Friday, your sin was exposed. On Sunday, the eyes of God will look on you and see nothing but righteousness. But on Saturday, you wear a scarlet letter like a tattoo. On Friday, sin died, uh, she died. On Sunday, you will see her face, hear her laughter, and feel her touch. On Saturday, you bring flowers to the graveyard and come home to darkness. Saturday feels like forever, but it's not. Sunday is forever. We're in Saturday right now. Victory has come. It's assured all the realities of God's kingdom come and the victory over sin and death And the the realities of his kingdom being ushered in will be all ours one day. But in the meantime, we walk into the battle every day knowing that our champion has gone before and we can trust him even though the days can seem so dark. I love the Christian view of life. It's so hopeful and it's so realistic. There's groaning, yes, but it's all on the way to glory. Our hope and our joy is never shallow. It should never prevent us from appreciating the difficulty of life life, and weeping with those who weep. But we have hope for today as we walk into each day, no matter what life in this fallen world brings our way. Jesus rose from the dead, and he promised that our sorrow now will turn to joy one day, and we are able to be partakers of that joy now as we trust Jesus and his saving work in our lives every day. The final result won't be annihilation, but transformation. And the very goodness of creation will be restored. And all the groanings of this present day will be looked back on as just the groaning of birth pains, which is always worth it. There's a great reversal of fortune, like every great story in all of human history, where we're heading down a track we can't solve. Yet God moves in and saves the day. Listen to these words of Andrew Peterson. Every stone that makes you stumble and cuts you when you fall, every serpent here that strikes your heel to curse you when you crawl, the king of love one day will crush them all. In every sad seduction, in every clever lie, every word that woos and wounds the pilgrim, children of the sky. The king of love will break them by and by. And you will rise up in the end. You will rise up in the end. I know the night is cruel, but the day is coming soon when you will rise up in the end. If a thief had come to plunder when the children were alone, if he ravaged every daughter and murdered every son, would not the father see this? Would not his anger burn? Would not he repay the tyrant in the day of his return? Await, await the day of his return. Because he will rise up in the end. He will rise up in the end. I know you need a savior. He's patient in his anger, but he will rise up in the end. And when the stars come crashing to the sea, when the high and mighty fall down on their knee, we'll see the sun descending in the sky. The chains of death will fall around your feet, and you will rise up in the end. You will rise up in the end. I know you will. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the assurance that the resurrection brings to us, the assurance that Jesus really did become one of us. He really did take on our very nature. A body with flesh and blood and bones able to struggle and be tempted and overcome that temptation. Able to walk into this world with all the pain and difficulty and sin and overcome it. Triumphant as the champion we desperately need. We thank you that Jesus died on a cross We thank you that he rose from the dead and ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father and one day will return when we all will rise up from the dead. Lord, help us this morning. For those who've never trusted Jesus, I pray that this resurrection Sunday morning would be the morning they turn from sin and self to the saving work of Jesus alone as what they most desperately need and are able to freely have. And for those of us who do know this message this morning, I pray that we would walk in to this afternoon and tomorrow in this coming week and the months and however many years you give us to come with courage and boldness and hope and confidence because Jesus rose up from the dead and we one day will rise with him to meet him and be with him forever. And we pray these things in the name of our champion. Amen.